And I want you to imagine for a moment if you could wear this comfortable robe every day, everywhere you went. I mean, you could get up in the morning, put it on, go to work in it. Right? You come home, you have dinner with the family, whatever, and you, you can go to McDonald's, you can go to Panera, wearing this robe, feels so good, right? I mean, everywhere you go, I mean, we're all coming, you know, Sunday morning, we come in all these robes, right? With your living community, it's robe night, different than toga night, right? But robe night, with your house church. But just imagine, I mean, you could just, you could just, you could just wear it. How would I feel? Help me out here. Let's talk a little bit. How, how would I feel if you could wear a robe every day? Any thoughts? Well, here's what I want us to do. We're going to do something a little interactive this morning. I'm going to go put this on the cross. And what I want you to do, we're going to go by row, and I want you to go by, I want you to get your phone out, and I want you to take a picture of this. With your, okay, get your phone out, take a picture with your phone of the robe on the cross. We good? We understand what you're going to do, so pull out your phone, and, and so we're going to do that this morning. Okay, and just when the row's done, then the next row go until everybody's done that, Okay. While they're doing that, and then we'll just go around. I, I, was, as we come to Luke chapter 15, I think we need to understand that Jesus is giving us a picture. He's giving us a picture that shows the incredibly beautiful, merciful response of God toward those who repent. If you read the beginning chapters of 15, or beginning verses of chapter 15, Jesus tells two other stories. And in those stories, he talks about heaven's response toward those who repent of their sins. And so here we come to this story, and he tells, he gives us this picture of, of this father who embraces his son when the son comes home. And what you see in that story is there's no more judgment. Right? There's no more judgment. There's, there's a restored relationship. There's closeness. There's intimacy. And as we continue our study through the book of Joel, which we've been in for the past several weeks, this morning we're going to see in the latter part of chapter 2, God's response toward those who repent. In fact, we're going to look at eight promises that God makes toward those who repent of their sins and believe the gospel. So if you turn to the book of Joel, that would be great, chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 18, Joel chapter 2, 18. But let me kind of recap where we've been up to this point. What's been happening with God's people. In chapter 1, we see God sending this invasion of locusts upon his people. And the purpose of God sending that invasion of locusts was to wake His people from complacency because they were in sin against their God. And so God sends this invasion of locusts upon His people and He says in chapter 1, when it comes to our sin, He says you need to listen up. Take your sin seriously. He says you need to wake up. Don't ignore your sin. And He says you need to mourn over your sin. You need to grieve over your sin. And then last Sunday, as we began into chapter 2, what we saw is, is, okay, when you become aware of your sin, God calls you to repentance. 
He calls us to repent. And we spent some time last Sunday on describing what is repentance, what does it look like. And as you read through the book of Joel, you're going to come across this phrase, the day of the Lord. You're going to see it at least five times throughout God's message to His people through the prophet Joel. We're going to spend some more time on the day of the Lord next Sunday morning. But what we need to understand for this morning is this, that the day of the Lord is why we need God's mercy. It's why He calls us to repent. Because if you look at chapter 2 of Joel, verse 17, it says this, Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. And say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? God's people had become a joke to the people observing them. They'd become a mockery not because they were different, not because they were Jesus freaks, right? They'd they'd become a joke to the watching nations not because they were so different different, but because they weren't. They weren't different. And that's what they say in verse 17. Spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a mockery among the nations. For why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? You see, God's reputation as it stands is at stake. And God's not going to let us defame His name by our sin, our indifference, and our complacency. And so God, in His grace and His mercy, calls us to repent. And then what we have in verses 18 through the last part of chapter 2 is this response of God toward those who repent. So you become aware of your sin. You've acknowledged, you're agreeing with God about your sin You recognize your need to believe in God and to turn from your sin to the direction of Him. And that's really the big truth that I want us to get this morning is this, that what God says to those who repent is this, when you turn from the direction of sin to me, I'm there running toward you. And I think we see that here in the latter part of chapter 2 in the book of Joel. When God's people repent, when people repent from their sin, turn to the direction of Him, God is there running toward them. And so I want us to see some responses of God toward those who repent. Now, if you look at verse 32 of Joel chapter 2, it says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For those of you that may be familiar with some of Paul's letters, specifically the letter to the Romans in first century, that's what Paul quotes in Romans chapter 10 verse 13. So I imagine Paul's got the Old Testament in front of him as he's writing this letter to a group of Christians in the first century, and maybe he's just read the book of Joel for his devotions, and he's like, wow, that's right. whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that's right, and, and, and I need to tell these people in Rome at the time, they, they need to know that. And so what I think we see happening here, what, what Paul is doing in the book of Romans, is I think he's making a connection between the promises that God gives to his people in the book of Joel and the promises that God makes and applies to the soul of those who repent and believe the gospel. So I want us to see God's heart toward those who repent. I want us to see his promises to you, to me, to anyone who repents and believes the gospel. 
And the first promise we read in verse 18 and 19, it says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. And the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. Now, if you know the chapter before, chapter 1, what had happened? Well, all the grain, all the wine, all the oil had been devastated, been gone. There was none left. Because of the invasion of the locusts. I mean, they devastated everything. There was nothing left. But God is saying here, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. What's he doing? He's replenishing the supply, right? He's taking that which was empty, and he's making it full again. He's replenishing all of that. He's filling the pantry, if you will. And it's never to be empty. And this is a completed action, meaning that when a person repents, he continuously supplies. He continuously meets the need. And if we apply this to the soul, it's as if God is saying, when a person repents and believes the gospel, God is always satisfying your soul. Your soul is always satisfied in Christ. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will have their soul satisfied. That's why the guy who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With Your Soul, do you know the story behind that? He lost his son when his son was four years old to scarlet fever. His daughters and his wife were on a boat trip across the sea, and the boat sank, and his four daughters drowned and died. And so he got on a boat to go meet his wife, who was the only survivor, and on the boat, as he was traveling across the same waters where his girls had drowned, he writes these lyrics. He writes the lyrics, right? When, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say it is well with my soul. Soul is satisfied in Christ. He replenishes the soul. It's like Jesus to the lady at the well, living water, you'll never thirst again. Jesus, the bread of life, you'll never hunger again. Your soul will always be satisfied in Christ. And you say, but I don't feel satisfied. Stop. The satisfaction of your soul is not dependent upon your feeling. It's dependent upon the promise of God. There are days when I'm like, ah, I just feel, is there something more? Is there what? And I need to just stop and wait a second. God is in Christ, my soul is full. It is well. It's been saved. It's been made whole. It's been restored because of Christ. You hear a lot of people talk about soulmates, right? Well, he's my soulmate. She's my soulmate. Stop it. Stop. Here's why. Because your soul only has one mate that will ever match it. God, the creator of your soul. He's the only perfect match for your soul. Don't put the pressure on your partner to try to be your soulmate because they'll fail every time. But here he's saying, you will be satisfied. I will replenish the grain. That which was empty, I will fill again. And I'll fill it up. That's why Jesus says to us, all you who are labor and heavy burden, come unto me and I will give you what? Rest. Rest for your soul. You'll be satisfied. God promises to satisfy your soul for those who repent and believe the gospel. Second promise, verse 19, he says, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. 
God promises those who repent and believe the gospel that he will restore the honor of his name through them. Because that would, that's what had happened. They'd become a mockery to the people around them. But God says, no, I'm now going to defend my name through you. I'm going to give you back the opportunity to live the purpose for why I gave you breath. And that's to make much of me. And it means then for us here on this side, if you will, of the cross, that those who repent and believe the gospel, God, God gives you purpose. He gives you mission. And that mission is to raise the flag of his glory, to point people to him. We just celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. One of the most beautiful pictures and images that I've ever seen that I still love to this day is that picture of the Marines on Iwo Jima. You know what I'm talking And they're kind of hoisting that flag up there on the mount. I love that image. I love that picture. But now imagine that that flag is the glory flag, the name of Jesus. And he's saying, now I've given you purpose. I've filled your soul. And now your purpose is to take the flag of my name and make much of me in the workplace, in your home, with your kids, in your neighborhood. That's the mission. That's the purpose of our house church living communities, that we would raise the glory flag of Jesus so that we can point people to his glory, the one who truly satisfies their souls. Peter said it this way. He said in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 2.9, he said, You are a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. You're a people. Why? So that you can raise the glory flag of Jesus. So wherever you work, you're there. That's your, that's your mission field. You're there with a purpose to point people to Christ and restore the glory of his name in that place. Third promise. Verse 20, God says to his people, I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he's done great things. What's he saying there? He's saying that that army that I sent to bring judgment upon you for your sins against me, I'm removing it. I'm removing it. And the promise I think God makes to us, not I think, but I know he makes to us because we see it in Scripture, is that those who repent and believe the gospel, he removes his judgment from them. Again, taking Paul, right? He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I think we can apply these physical promises that God gives to his Old Testament people and apply them to the soul of those who repent and believe the gospel. And he's saying, I promise to remove my judgment from you, to remove the northerner, the judgment that we deserve, that God is sending upon those who do not repent. And Scripture tells us that the northerner for us is what? Is is hell. It's hell. It's the wrath of God upon those who refuse to surrender their lives to Jesus. Jesus prayed in the garden. He said, if possible, take this cup. What's the cup? The cup of God's judgment. The cup of God's wrath. And Jesus is saying, if possible, take it from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus goes to the cross. And on the cross, he bleeds And he bleeds because he's taking upon himself the judgment you and I deserve for our sins. And those who repent and believe the gospel, God removes that judgment from you. You know how freeing that is? A couple years ago, we had a membership to Planet Fitness. How many, anybody here have a membership to Planet Fitness or ever had one? Okay, if you've ever walked into Planet Fitness, they have this phrase. You know what it is? It's like the judgment-free zone. That's a huge, fat lie. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm going to just be real honest. When I walk into Planet Fitness, I'm immediately looking for someone that's more out of shape than me. 
Because if I can find that person, I know, okay, I'm all right. All right? I mean, it's not a judgment. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a lie. Right? Judgment-free zone. No, it's not. It's like judgment-full zone. I mean, it's just like, right? You walk in, it's like you're looking around, you're trying to find that. But here, God removes the judgment and the promise for those who repent and turn to Jesus. And he not only fills their soul and satisfies their soul, he not only gives them the purpose of raising the glory flag of his name, but now he says, I'm removing my wrath from you. You're free from that. There's no more judgment for you. Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ. No more disapproval. And for those of us that struggle with approval, we want the approval of people for whatever reason, even as Christians, God's saying, there's no more condemnation for you. I approve of you. I love you. Because the judgment for your sins was handled by my son on the cross. And so God promises to remove the judgment for those, his judgment over them for those who repent and believe the gospel. Another promise Verses 21 through 25 says this. He says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. For the Lord has done great things. And I want you to see this is all God doing the work. Salvation is all the work of God. Right? Salvation or repentance is God doesn't save us because we've repented. God saves us because He's merciful to those who repent. We need to make sure we see the difference. And He says this in verse 21. He says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. And you've got to understand what was going on. There was no more green. There was no pasture if you read chapter 1. None. It's been devastated. It's been wiped out. But God's going, no, 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 I'm, I'm bringing the pastures back. The wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit again. The fig tree and vine, they give their full yield. Verse 23, be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain. The early and the latter rain as before. Verse 24, the threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow. You hear the language? Full, green, overflow, abundant rain. And then he says in verse 25, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. He says, I will restore to you the years. And I think there's an application here for us. For those who repent and believe the gospel, it's it's this, that God, God will restore those wasted years of sinful living for yourself with years of purpose, years of fruitfulness for living for the king. Now, you can't get years back. I get that. Right? Waste of time. I mean, it's gone. You can't get years back. But God can replace those wasted years of sin and selfishness with years of fruitful living for him. Think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, he spent how many years torturing, persecuting Christians? Then repents, believes the gospel, meets Jesus, and now he spends the rest of his life not torturing Christians, but helping people become Christians. That's the mercy and grace of God upon those who repent and believe the gospel. And for maybe some of you, you look at your past and you're going, man, I just wasted my life and you stay gloomy and all that. Stop. Stop. 
God's rescued you. Stop thinking like, move forward and put all that energy and that thinking and time to lift your life, raising the glory flag of Jesus. Don't wallow in the past and feel the guilt of what life could have been, it could have been if you had just known Jesus sooner. Just be grateful He's rescued you now and live your life now for the glory of Christ. And God promises to replace those wasted years with years of fullness and fruit for those who repent and believe the gospel. Another promise, verse 26 and 27, he says, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. But I want you to focus in on that phrase where he says, you shall never be put again to shame. The word shame there has this idea of being disappointed. And God is saying all this after he's, you're eaten plenty and, and be satisfied. After he's filled the pantry. He's more than met your needs, right? And I think he's saying to his people, saying, listen, you never need to doubt or wonder if I will ever take care of you. It's on me now to take care of you. It's on me. You, you were walking away from me, but now you've come home, and now I'm taking full responsibility. I will take care of you. I promise. God's promising to keep His promises, if you will. You'll always have hope in Christ. And I think for those of us that repent and believe the gospel, right, he's making good on his promise. Listen, we live in a culture filled with broken promises from the government to the home. And yet God's saying, listen, you never need to doubt. You never need to wonder if I will take care of you because I promise I will. It may not look like how you want it to look. And it may not be in the timing that you want it. But I promise I will always have your best interest in mind. Always. I'll always take care of you. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with that so often. I just do. Last night, I'm reading this um, Hero Tales book with Kate before bed. And I would highly recommend you to get these. Man, they're just stories, filled with story after story of people who just by faith follow Jesus. And I'm reading last night the story of Watchman Nee. If you're familiar with that name, kind of the leader of the house church movement in China. I'm like, man, this dude was crazy awesome. And it's just like his faith, I'm like repenting and rejoicing at the same time because my faith is so small. And he just talks about he just trusted God. He just believed that God would take care of him. Man, if you need to be reminded of that, purchase Hero Tales and read the stories for yourself. Or just read the Bible for crying out loud and see how God took care of his people, right? He promises he'll do it. It's kind of like adoption. When somebody adopts a child, they're taking upon themselves the full responsibility of caring for every need of that child. And God's saying, I promise you won't be disappointed. You'll no longer be put to shame. You're now my responsibility. If I'm willing to put my son on the cross to get you, I'm going to make sure that you have all you need for when you need it. I promise. Other promise. Verse 27. He says, you will know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. God promises to those who repent and believe the gospel, check this out, that you can actually know the creator of the universe. That's amazing. 
that God in his grace and his mercy allows you the, the privilege to have a relationship and know him. He says, you will know that I'm in the midst of Israel. Up to, that word know is so, so important. It, it's a Hebrew word that has this idea of deep intimacy, deep friendship. It's the same word that Paul used in Philippians 3.8 when he says, I count everything lost compared to knowing Christ. He's saying, I got this deep relationship, friendship with Jesus, and that's only possible for those who repent and believe the gospel. You know the greatest part of being a Christian is? Knowing Christ. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that the best part of being a Christian is knowing Christ? Knowing him. I'm not just talking about knowing about him. I'm like knowing him, like talking to him, hearing him talk to you through his word. I'm like, that's incredible. And God's saying, listen, when you repent and believe the gospel, I promise you that I will be with you and you will know me. I want that. I want that relationship with you, he says. I promise. And you've got to see God's heart in that. It's pure grace that he would allow us that privilege. Another promise, verse 28 and 29. Get ready. This is so awesome. Verse 28 and 29, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And he says, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. I'll pour out my spirit. It's not like a little drip. It's, a, it's like this, I mean, just like this flood. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on you. Now, at this point throughout the Old Testament, God's spirit was kind of selective on who he would come on. But this is a foreshadowing, really, of the church. This is a prediction of the church because Peter, in Acts chapter 2, quotes this when he's talking in Jerusalem and preaching at Pentecost. And he's basically saying those tongues of fire, people speaking in languages that they didn't know so that they could communicate the gospel, that was all like a prophecy of Joel. Right here in Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29. So you have this foreshadowing, this prediction of the church. And in the Old Testament, God was kind of selective upon who his Holy Spirit came upon. But he's saying, man, listen, those who repent and believe the gospel, whether they're male, female, young, old, whatever, when they repent and believe the gospel, I pour out my spirit on them. You got my spirit. I pour it out. And it's a promise and a prediction of the church hundreds of years before Peter would stand up and preach. And I was thinking about this. It's like, have you, have you ever seen the pictures of, like at a, at a water park where the kids or somebody standing on the bridge at the, at the end of like a big water ride and they're like waiting and they're holding onto the thing and they're just waiting for the rush of water to come over them? You know what I'm talking about? All right? That's what I pictured. I'm like reading this this morning. I'm like, dude, that's like God pouring out his spirit. You just get, get, just get ready. It's like you just get flooded. Right? I mean, he just like just overwhelms you with the presence of himself. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe has said, I will put my personal presence inside you. I will pour myself on you. That same spirit that you read about in Genesis chapter 1 that hovered over the earth as he created, he's in you if you repent and believe the gospel. Church, come on. I mean, this is just like seriously... God, you're so good, you're so nice that you would do that for, your, for us. 
The same spirit that came upon Jesus that empowered him to do his ministry, as we read about in Matthew 3, that came like a dove, he, he's on you, those who repent and believe the gospel. The same spirit that's, that Paul wrote, writes how, how he resurrected Jesus from the grave, he's in you. And God says, I promise I will pour all my spirit on you. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that that spirit connects you with the community of other people who have received the spirit. It's crazy, amazing what God has done. This is all God's mercy toward us. God's grace toward us. And then if you keep reading verse 30 to 32, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And another promise is God saying, all this stuff I promise I'll do, I'll do it. I do, I'll do it. I'll save you. I'll rescue you. I'll be a refuge to you. You see that in Joel chapter 3, verse 16, when the day of the Lord comes, God says, I will be a refuge for my people. I will shelter them. God promises it. Listen. Think about all the promises that God makes. And here we see it to his people in the book of Joel, his Old Testament people, the Hebrew people. He takes that which was empty and he fills it. Right? He takes that reproach that they'd created and he restores his name through them. He removes his wrath and his judgment from them. He promises to meet their needs and to care for them. He does all this. He does it for those who repent and believe the gospel. Isn't that worth sharing? I mean, think about it through, through two lenses this morning. One, the lens of what's this mean for me, but what could this mean for your neighbor? What, what could this mean for the person in the cubicle next to you? Wow. Who's just dealing with so much guilt from their past or whatever it might be. Imagine what it would do, these promises of God. Remember the story Jesus told that we read at the beginning? Remember that story? There's more to the story. I want you to go to Luke 15 again. There's more to this story. Luke chapter 15. Ask the band to come if they would. Luke chapter 15. Beginning in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly what? The best robe. Bring the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And it's as if God says to us, listen, when you repent and believe the gospel. (laughs) It's awesome. When you repent and believe the gospel, all those promises, they're yours. They're yours. They're yours. You, I, I put my robe on you. All those promises of like, I'm going to satisfy your soul. <laughs> I'm going to like remove my judgment from you. 
I'm going to give you purpose for life, and, and, and you may have wasted years, but, but move on, and let, let me use your life now for me, and I'll do it, I promise. It's yours for those who repent and believe the gospel. Right now where you sit, if you repent, you're wearing the robe. Not because you did anything, but because God's gracious and merciful to you. And so I want you to think, what would it look like if you wore the robe every day? What would it look like if you actually went to work believing the promises of God for those who repent and believe the gospel? That your soul is well, regardless of your circumstances. That God doesn't disapprove of you. He loves you. No condemnation for those. Imagine, what would it look like if you actually lived every day wearing the promises of God? So what do you need to do in response? Some of you here this morning may need to repent and receive the gospel and put on the rope and just simply take it. God gives it to you. Just receive it right where you are. Others of us that we've repented, we just need to celebrate. <laughs> we need to just rejoice in this God who's given us all this. None of it we deserve. And he's like, yes, that's the point. Just enjoy me. Know me. I put my spirit on you. Just rejoice and celebrate. Because the father t- turns and he says, go put the best robe on him. It's the beauty of the gospel for those who repent and believe. So here's my challenge to you this week. That picture that you took earlier, I want you to make that your home screen on your phone this week. Okay? Picture of the robe on the cross. I want you to make that your home screen on your phone. So when you look at your phone, the bazillion times you do during the week, all right, if you're like me, I want it to be a reminder of you, a reminder to you of the promises of God for you for those who repent and believe. Let it remind you of all that God gives you and promises you through his son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. And God, may we celebrate, may we rejoice in the fullness that you've given to us. You promised us so much. And God, may we sing this morning celebrating these great promises that you have given to us, your church, But Lord, may it also move us to share it with those who are desperate to know you, desperate to have their souls satisfied. God, we love you. We rejoice. Thank you for putting your robe on us. And we celebrate you because of it. Thank you for your promises. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.